Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. You probably know if you've listened to the show for a while, I have uh, a couple themes that come up again and again. NPR is one of them. Radio. I love radio. love public radio in particular. Talked a couple months ago to Maria Hinojosa, who of course has long roots with NPR and has since gone on to found her own media empire, which is so awesome. And in the early days of the show, I talked to Tom Ashbrook, who hosted On Point for many, many years. Today, I'm talking with Arun Roth. He has been in the NPR world forever, really. He started as a producer at On The Media. He hosted All Things Considered on the weekends nationally. And now he's here in Boston hosting our local edition of All Things Considered. And he also has a new show that launched last year called In It Together. It's now a half-hour show on WGBH here in Boston that looks at the pandemic from sort of every angle. He's been recording his shows and broadcasting live in some cases from his basement outside of Boston since last spring, more than a year now. So pretty wild. And, you know, I feel like it's an interesting time to be talking about NPR. NPR actually just celebrated this week their 50th anniversary, which is wild and so cool. But we have an especially interesting relationship to NPR here in Boston because we have not one but two NPR news stations, WGBH, where Arun works, uh, and they are also the flagship PBS station. So you probably know them from watching PBS. You know, they uh, have their logo at the front of a lot of shows like Frontline and American Experience and Antiques Roadshow. A lot of kids shows as well come out of WGBH. But uh, they weren't always a news channel here in Boston. They had an NPR feed for a long time. But uh, I don't know, it's probably been five, six years ago, maybe more now. They switched over to an all-news format, and it put them in competition with our other NPR station, WBUR. It's really interesting just to hear all about that and also to look at where is radio headed. I mean, obviously, I've been doing this podcast for almost a year now, just up in my attic with about, I don't know, 800 bucks worth of equipment. Not a huge operation. And, you know, does that eat into radio at all? I don't know. I listen to podcasts most of the time when I'm in the car now. I don't listen to radio nearly as much as I did maybe five, 10 years ago. So that's interesting. You know, where is the future of radio headed? Lots of interesting stuff in here. We talk about media. We talk about the business of it. We talk about public radio. It's a fun conversation. I'm excited to talk to him. Here it is, my interview with Arun Roth. I want to start by just sort of asking the big picture question, I guess, about what this last year has been like for you. Well, you know, probably as it has been for everybody, in, incredible. And the root meaning of that word, it's really hard to believe. Yeah. For a story somebody were telling me, I, I, yeah, it would definitely strain uh, strain belief because it's obviously it's turned everything upside down for everybody, but it's really remade uh, my own professional life. You know, I'm sitting here in my basement in Lexington, just a foot away from the, the closet, which I've converted where I, I now do, you know, I've broadcasting for yeah. uh, three hours a day right. most days. Some, you know, when there's impeachment or other stuff going on, sometimes longer. From my basement right here, looking out, I can see my, you know, my, my son playing basketball, although not, not generally during the show because that's uh, bad for audio. Yeah, so it, it's, it's completely transformed everything. And I don't know how much longer we'll be doing it this way. I, I think probably through the, the, the summer, to the extent that this is now normal, right? I'm very used to, to working out of home. Yeah. yeah, strange times for everybody, and, and and you know, different people have been going through this in, in different ways, all, all over the place. But it, it's also, well, you know, the, the the big thing, and and 
probably the main reason we're, we're talking is, is that uh, in transforming everything, it created the show and it together, yeah. which, you know, again, has defined my professional life uh, since then, on top of the other stuff that, that I've, I've been doing already. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to dive into there that, you know, I, I've got questions about kind of all of it, of the remote studio setup and, you know, just all of that. But, you know, you mentioned in it together, and I'm really curious about that piece of it, just because that's a separate it's it's a half hour daily show right that kind of looks at the pandemic from all these different angles yeah and well and started out it was originally uh, an hour long show i think with the first couple of months that we were on uh-huh. and then um you know what once we got used to this abnormal normal it, it, it settled into that that half hour and then you know actually the, the original concept for the show was an hour long call-in show, uh-huh. sort of like an evening, uh, you know, BPR, uh, Boston Public Radio. Sure. But I think we did a week of shows out of the studio before I, I was doing everything uh, at a home. And the main reason we didn't stick with the call-in format was because that was technically difficult by, by that mm. point, to be handling calls in the studio while I was also broadcasting from home. All, all those kind of inputs into a studio when there's one person there right. handling everything, it, it, we, we couldn't quite pull it off. Once we could, we sort of liked the form that the show had uh, had, had taken. And, and once we shifted to a half hour, you know, it was also kind of less accommodating of, of that kind of freewheeling call-in uh, format. You know, things had to be tighter and we sort of fell into that basically like two interview format where we do two long interviews. That is great as, as a journalist. I mean, you you, you know, like, Doing things like this, doing doing the podcast, being able to have real conversations with people as opposed to, you know, the three to five minute news interview, you you can really get somewhere. Yeah, no, totally. And and I'm curious, too, just kind of thinking through those stages, like it's interesting that that it was technical hiccups that caused you to shift formats from, from call in to longer form interviews. But I also feel like, you know, in those early days of the pandemic, we were all kind of locked inside and missed that sense of community and just almost needed to collectively grieve together, I guess. And then, you know, we're a year into this now, like people are are figuring it out, but still kind of dealing with it. And, you know, I I guess I'm just curious, like editorially, sort of how the show has shifted. And just, you know, if you can kind of look back and think of, you know, those different, I guess, you know, roadblocks or road signs or whatever, you know, the the different plots along the map uh, over the course of this pandemic. Yeah, well, I I would say that, you know, the editorial evolution of the show i mean the perspective of the show i mean obviously i'm in the middle of it so that's why that's the most interesting thing to to me because it's also you know i've done honestly just about everything on the the public radio side of things at least at one time or another yeah i produced shows hosted shows edited you know directed this has been different from anything else and and not, not just in terms of the production but that what's changed editorially or what what sort of evolved editorially has has been the extent to which i am personally in in the show it's, it's funny because this is that now now come up as an issue which i've discussed with uh, with listeners yeah when i'm doing an interview on in it together it's not like an interview for all things considered right my my own personality my own my own personhood and subjectivity is, is there in a way that would not be appropriate for a straight new show but it has turned into this thing within it together because like you said i'm living this with everybody else i'm, I'm here in my basement in lexington and the point of the whole thing is, is about you know all of our connections and how we're getting through this so i talk about stuff on the show personally that i would never ever have done before 
I, you know, I've talked about, you know, when I'm, when I'm getting my vaccine or things that my family is, is going through. And the other thing that, that um, I'm sure like how much we're going to get off on, on this part of the conversation, but, but it's also impossible to consider the other things that were going on in addition to the pandemic, which also kind of brought out the subjectivity in me and, and the personality of the show, which is the political context. You know, everything that was going on the past year, sure. uh, the, the two big things obviously being the, the, the political election and the social justice movement, which really got on fire after the uh, after, after the killing of, of George Floyd. That kind of affected, every, and, and frankly, that affected the news coverage as, as well of all things considered, because as we were figuring out how to cover you know, honestly, like 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 a presidency which we had never experienced before, and the rules were different on that. And uh, th- this pandemic, which also honestly it changed the journalistic rules a bit as well. Things like t- telling people to wear masks, right? Yeah, right. That's not something that I would ever do as a journalist. Like you don't tell I, I, I don't tell people to vote, right? It's it's not my job to do that when I'm doing a news show. But in a public health emergency, and also when you're a public media journalist. Things are different, right? You have to step up in that role in a way that wouldn't be appropriate at other times. And that happened, you know, honestly, with, with, with the president. Where it really became obvious was, uh, you know, we used to cover the, the, the COVID briefings live, right? Yeah. Because it's always a rule in journalism. The president gets a live microphone, right? right? Because that's the president of the United States. Right. But we've never been in a situation before where the president of the United States w- was saying things that were... Uh, dangerous on one hand when it came to uh, uh, information about the virus, uh, you know, like the injecting bleach thing right. or things that were that were hateful right. and, and potentially inviting and inciting violence. So for the first time, we were saying, like, all right, we, we're going to have to cut out the president here. We'll cut out the feed yeah. and, and doing things that, again, wouldn't ever be appropriate ordinarily. So my kind of subjectivity got pulled in a lot of directions, not just on In It Together, but getting back to the show of In It Together, being a person in greater Boston, having to work out of my basement, seeing the social justice movement going on at the same time, being a person of color, and with everything that, that, that's going on, I, I'm just way more present as a person in, in the show than um, I ever thought that I'd be comfortable with, yeah. and I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, just sort of, you know, as you were saying that, I'm thinking about the way that journalism has evolved. And I do think part of it is just all the things that we went through this past year, certainly. And, and as you say, like, when you have a president that's throwing out the norms of the office, it's incumbent upon journalists covering that office to also <laughs> adapt to that and not just say, OK, we're going to hear from both sides and, and give both sides equal weight. When it, it seems clear that, you know, there is one side that is not acting in good faith in that, but also just kind of the broader movement of, you know, we, we t- touched on podcasts a little bit or, you know, just YouTube and social media and whatever. There is this kind of openness in our culture now, just generally that, you know, people share their opinions and their beliefs all day, every day. And I, just, I wonder how much of that even may have informed the way the journalism rules are changing and just, you know, that, that a journalist doesn't have to be that Walter Cronkite, you know, just straight shooter and, you know, here's the facts and, and nothing else. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that's the case. I think we might have been moving in that direction as anyway, but but maybe the, the, the last year of the Trump presidency and the pandemic sped up that development. I mean, I, I come from more of a school of, of journalism that, that frankly would make 
more of the older NPR editors un- uncomfortable. Uh-huh. You know, I used to, I used to produce on, on the media. You know, with Brooke uh, Gladstone and, sure. and Bob Garfield. Our philosophy was that you know, there's never objectivity in journalism. There's fairness, which you should strive for, but owning your own subjectivity. I, I would not tell people who I voted for necessarily because. That ties into a whole set of things, but I'm perfectly happy to discuss my political beliefs with somebody who wants to know, yeah. because that's something I've, I've just had to do at times when, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, uh, when I, I was doing a documentary for PBS uh, about the media and talking to people in, in the right wing media to get the trust of people like, and say, like yeah, this, this, this is what I believe. This is where I'm coming from. This is where this interview is going to go. Yeah. You know, you don't want to go too far with it. I think advocacy journalism has a place, but I'm not as a public media journalist or as like a, you know, as straight news journalist. That's not what I want to do. Right. But I think owning our, our own subjectivity is, is in general a healthy thing. Yeah. Well, th- there is kind of a an acceptance now, too, <laughs> and an understanding, perhaps, that journalists are human and you're going to bring your own lens even just to the questions you ask and all you know i feel like there was kind of this impossible standard before now that like you have to be just this complete straight shooter and and not have any beliefs and not bring any personal you know your history or your biases or your life experience to it and i think we're learning that that can be an asset that you know the things that you've experienced in your life you can bring that to ask an informed question that maybe somebody else wouldn't have thought of that's in the same room and, you know, hearing the same briefing, let's say. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing that and feeling that a lot. I mean, not always working out in the best ways, but I think with people of color and journalism, sure, where we've had course. this, again, like a social justice movement or, or for like, you know, I was, I was feeling that even before at, at times where I, I would acknowledge this openly, say that, that, you know, I'm the, the child of, of immigrants. And so, when there's a president who's saying racist things or things that are insulting about immigrants, yeah, you know, I'm I'm coming from a place where it's affected me differently, and I'm going to own that, and I think that that's fine. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Well, I want to ask some of the functional questions about your job these days too, because yeah. I am curious about that. Just like this remote studio set up in a basement closet, like how did that start and how has it evolved? <laughs> like, has it changed over this past year? Yeah, it, it came together in just a matter of days. Because, you know, remember that couple of weeks in March sure. where, um, yeah, the, the show came together and then it was, we were, we were suddenly talking about, you know, having to somehow set, set up to do this from home. Now, the thing is that, you know, as broadcasters, and because like we have to be ready for emergency situations, the fact is there already kind of was a setup for this. When I was hosting All Things Considered on NPR, doing that in Los Angeles, living in, in L.A., yeah. I basically had a similar setup to what I have right now ready to go in, in my apartment so that if something crazy happened, I, I had like the same piece of equipment. The box is called a Comrex, uh, which lets you dial in through the Internet to your radio station and then broadcast essentially out to the whole country. Yeah. I, I think that I used it once over the course of an entire year to like uh, retrack a, a spot after, after I was home. But otherwise, it was something that just kind of gathered dust. Yeah. So we kind of had like the studio and a box idea ready to go. And so I, I was able to uh, to do that. So in, in the course of a, a weekend, I cleared out this uh, closet in, in, in the basement, which was just, you know, filled from floor to ceiling with, with stuff. 
got a bunch of acoustic tile, uh, which happily is not too expensive from uh, Guitar Center. Yep. And basically like a whole carload full of acoustic tile, put that up on, on the walls and uh, yeah, I have this set up and I, I can um, share some of the pictures uh, with you. They're, they're on Instagram as, as well when I was putting it together, but it's just it's just a closet with a bunch of um, foam tiling. And then the foam tiling makes it look cool and professional though. <laughs> that, that, that definitely definitely helps. And the, the computer there with uh, this Comrex box and, and the microphone. So every day, I usually dial into our studios, generally like around one o'clock is when I'll start recording stuff that'll be going on later on the air. And then from four o'clock in the afternoon through seven in the evening, I'm, I'm live here out of, out of the basement. And I, I it's been the same now for over a year. Wow. I, I've stopped by WGBH, the station. A couple of times, a few times, just to, just to pick things up from from the lobby or exchange things, and that's been it. All the radio has been coming out of my basement. That's wild. Do you still have like? Is there an engineer or a producer or someone sitting at the board at GBH? Yeah, we have. I mean, I just got to mention his name, Bill uh, Piacitelli, who who's our our technical director and engineer, because the the guy is incredible, and he's the person who is. It back in the control room at GBH still, you know, eight or nine hours, sometimes more a day because of all the breaking coverage we do. Yeah. I imagine him, uh, you know, because I haven't seen him for, for so long. I imagine him like, 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 like a Hindu god, like he's got like four sets of arms <laughs> yep. to, to be able to like pull off all the stuff that he's doing. I, I don't quite know how he does it. And then my, uh, I, I have two producers, uh, Matt, my producer for All Things Considered, Amanda, who, who's the amazing producer of, of In It Together. And they are, are also both working from home. You know, we have our computer system with, uh, with GBH we're all dialed into, uh, and we use Slack a lot. Gotcha. I was and, curious, and that, just like, yeah, what the, <laughs> what the interaction back, you know, if they have to pass you a note or something, what that looks like. During the show, yeah, well, that that's the toughest thing because usually, you know, they're there on the other side of the glass right. when, when we're doing the show like normal, and I've got a talk back button, so like I, I can press a button and talk to them, or just just get up and, and like you know when when we're um, not live or, or on tape, just like walk in, into the studio and, and talk to them directly. So um, yeah, there there's a lot of a lot of slack. <laughs> <laughs> um. How does like just the production side of it? Like, I'm thinking like production meetings and just like walk me through. I guess a day in your life. Like, when does it start to to go on air at four o'clock? For all things considered, like when does the work for that begin? Well, there's a lot of time on Zoom, a lot of Zoom meetings. Yeah. Uh, like, like I'm sure a lot of people are, are, are going through. And the the thing is, at this point, I'm actually not just doing two shows. I'm doing two shows and a podcast. Uh, there's this, there's a new uh, NPR podcast. It's 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 kind of like a, a, a daily news podcast that sort of correlates with all things considered. And WGBH, along with WBUR, we're co-producing uh, the local side of that. There, there's a podcast that you can dial in, and if you live in Boston, like you, you'll get the version that comes with a local side. I, so every other week I host that. So every other week I'm doing three shows, wow. and that that means my days will start around ten thirty. Wow. Uh, with 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 a meeting about uh, about that show and and a, a Zoom show, but otherwise, ten to uh, an ordinary week. So I'll start around noon. We'll have a a noon Zoom meeting where we talk about all things considered and in it together, and. Uh, yeah, the, the day tends to go from there. Usually afternoons, I'm, I'm generally pre-recording interviews, you know, with the three shows. It, it can be a 
fair amount that's uh, that, that's pre-recorded, uh, and then yeah, we go live at four o'clock, and there will be um, not infrequently like one or two live interviews during all things considered. Uh, in it together, usually these days, most of those interviews are on tape. Okay. Well, on occasion, do do live interviews for that. It tends to just be how the whole production <laughs> the jigsaw puzzle of, of three productions works together right. any, any given week. And are you still hosting like live wraparounds if the interviews are pre-recorded, or are you able to you know kind of send everything and then you know be done at six instead of seven? No, I mean I, I, I do pretty much have to do the interstitial stuff live. So gotcha. so so it, it's um yeah it, it's it's struggling at all because you know with um. The news being live and coordinating with the live stuff that's coming from NPR, you, you have to hit those live posts. Right. And, and um, the, the, the timing works out differently every day. So, yeah, it, 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 it's a lot. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm <laughs> curious, like thinking, you know, just of the events of this week, like the Derek Chauvin verdict coming in. Like, I remember hearing around 3.30 on Twitter that, you know, the, the jury was back and, you know, an announcement was going to come at some point that afternoon. Like, walk me through that day. Like, when you get that news around 3.30, like all of us, and you're going on the air at 4, and obviously National is going to take some of that time, maybe all of that time. Like, when you have, when you have a show planned and news breaks, what happens? Uh, everything goes out the window, and, and you're basically on call the, the entire time, even, even when uh, National takes it over, because we still come back for local stuff pretty regularly. Yeah. And there are times when, for various reasons— if something happens very quickly, I mean, with with a Chauvin case, we we had some some heads up on it. But um, if you don't mind, let, let me just like 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 reflect on on the past year because when when people yeah, totally ask me about like what I feel burned out on, it, it, I'm not burned out on the pandemic or uh, or other stuff. I'm, I'm it's all the extra stuff that got piled on because I mean, you think about the past year, you know, going back to uh, you know two impeachments, yeah. Right. Um, the protests that, that broke out, which often, and you know, the the election, uh, the election count getting drawn out, and the insurrection. Yeah. I'm probably leaving out some things in sure. there, but but there's a combination of things we knew that were were going to be long news days. Well, like the, uh, the the day of the vote count, we we didn't know there was going to be an insurrection that day, but we knew it was going to be like a long, basically like like full, full day, and. Right. Um, Frankly, we we just uh, I am I'm here in the basement all day, so I'll I'll have like the TV on with, with CNN, the radio on, and monitoring stuff. And um, when it is something like like the Chauvin case, it's a little bit easier because we do know that that we'll be going live to NPR for good chunks of that, yeah. and we'll be coming back and we covering you know, like if there's local protests, thing, things like that. But it's it's really exhausting. And that's a weird thing I gotta say, he is that it's um. It's more tiring when I'm sitting around not doing anything than if I'm sitting around being live on the air for, for three hours right. uh, because it, it's just waiting for something to happen and not knowing when, when it's going to happen. Or, or even when it's that impeachment uh, coverage where you're just doing the golf IDs where, where um, you know, you're oh, sitting right. around and yeah. watching it and every now and then you're doing um, Val Dennings, Democrat from Florida. For some reason, that's really tiring. I don't, I don't know why. Even just the timing on those, I'm always because obviously when you hear it on the radio, you don't get the benefit of a Chiron or you know seeing the person. And just figuring out like when do I sneak that in so that I'm not interrupting them. But you know, exactly. Yeah, you uh, you get it, or not knowing when you know if it's impeachment or something like that when they're going to take their break and 
all of a sudden you've got two minutes to uh, to, to fill. And, yeah. and those are the situations where, like the live setup is, I'll usually have uh, a buddy on call. So like I'll have like one of our news analysts so that I can, you know, have some questions and like we'll talk about what just happened. But there are other times where you just, you know, you have to uh, vamp, right? Yeah. <laughs> and there's like the go. But the thing is, there's so much going on. It's not hard to vamp these days. Right. So just talk about like just the crazy stuff that just happened. I, I, I can fill two minutes of that easily. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious too, just like keeping up with everything. I mean, a combination of just sort of knowing what's happening, but even who all the players are, you know, in the U.S. but around the world as well, and you know, just the pronunciations and things like that. Like, how do you digest the news? I guess what's your news diet look like? It, it's kind of nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, you know, I would be a news junkie in ordinary life. So the ways in which it's not exhausting are the ways in which it's kind of therapeutic. And, and this is very much the case for, for In It Together, which tons of times when I've talked about the show, I've talked about it being like therapy because yeah. all the stuff that I'm worried about, I, get, I have a show every night where I get to talk to smart <laughs> people about it. Right. And, and that's a wonderful luxury, right? And, and to a lesser and more limited extent, the same can be true with with the news right right that I, I would be like everybody kind of like sitting around waiting for, for the verdict to come in i'd be following it anyway so you know i, I i'm already kind of on top of it other situations you know there is things you do like for uh for impeachment or stuff like that i, I just make cheat sheets right so yeah. i basically will have like the 12 people on the senate judiciary committee or whoever their names where they're from so i'm ready at a moment to say Adam Schiff, such and such, you know, uh, or, 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 or where, where that's going. And I'll also, like, during live stuff, I kind of just keep rolling notes mm. so that if, if all of a sudden everything stops and then there's nothing but my voice on the air, I, I can just react to the incredible stuff <laughs> that, that's been going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine we were talking about not being able to see things on the radio. And that is a disadvantage that you have where, you know, if a CNN reporter is out at, at a live setup somewhere and something's happening, you can almost forgive that momentary, you know, like, wait, hold on, let me let me turn around and see what's happening behind me. And, you know, as a viewer, you can see it. You don't need somebody to narrate that. But if you just go quiet for four seconds, like people are like, what's going on, right? It's really funny, man, because I, I was just thinking about that. Now, I, I was going to say one thing that I've learned, and the fact is, not just say this saying, cool, I don't get nervous at all on the air anymore yeah. because of what you were just saying. Audiences are forgiving. Mm. People know, and, and this also relates all the way back to, to having the subjectivity, my, my personhood in this, that if things are crazy that, that are going on and I sound discombobulated, people get it. Yeah. People don't understand they're all living this craziness. And, and so even, even when like I trip over my words, like I, I've noticed this and it's something that I've also noticed with like old hands at NPR, like someone I, I've learned this from listening to as much as like talking to him as a person. He's a great guy, but, but Scott Simon at NPR, well, like he'll get tongue tied and he'll just say, Oh, pardon me. And then just like, keep talking and right. you love him for that. Right. Yeah. It feels and, and I learned listening to that, that they just own all of your errors because people will like you more and relate to it. And, and just being real in that way, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, like, you mentioned briefly that we have two NPR stations here in Boston, WGBH, which you're a part of, and, and WBUR, which is, you know, owned by Boston University. And it's it's strange for me as a consumer, just because, especially during Morning Edition and All Things Considered, 
the NPR portions of the show are usually almost identical. And, you know, there might be a one or two second lag, like if I flip over. But for the most part, you guys are in lockstep. And it's it's where the local portion comes in that the stations have some distinction. And I wonder, like, for you, especially during All Things Considered, like, if that's in your head at all and sort of what you're what you think, I guess, the, the brand identity or your own identity or, you know, whatever gets projected during the GBH version of All Things Considered? Yeah, it, it's, it's a really interesting question. And I got to say, you know, for me as well, when I first came up to Boston or even before I first came to Boston, it was a strange thing. And honestly, like people... <laughs> bosses may not may not like me saying this as, as, a, as a preamble but from a distance like i i thought it was not really a, a great thing when wgbh went to doing news and basically counter-programming wbur right. I, I thought as a news consumer like well that's odd you know why they're playing all things considered and many other shows like basically at, at, at the same time why would I, if as a, as a listener and like, it's a public supportive thing, right? Why would I want to give money to that kind of redundancy? Right. So I'll, I'll just say like from the outset, I don't like the competition part of it. And I kind of don't think that it's cool. Yeah. Although the other answer to that is that the very interestingly, since WGBH did that and has had massive audience growth, almost all the audience growth has not been at the expense of WBUR. So between the two stations, they've actually, we've actually massively grown the public uh, radio market wow. in, in Boston in a place that already had a great public radio market. So that is a side effect of, of this. That's kind of a cool thing. Right. But, but all, all, all that aside, you know, as a consumer, I kind of come at it the same way. And to answer your question, I honestly... Honest to God, I don't think about that at all when we're doing All Things Considered. Hmm. Um, I, I just think about the show as the show and the content as, as the content. And counter-programming or trying to do something different from WBUR honestly doesn't enter enter into my mind. Yeah. I, I actually regret the fact that we are in competition when, when that comes to be the case because, um, you know, I, I worked at WBUR, I, I know tons of those people. You know, public broadcasting is a small—it's uh, a small universe, right? Sure, so, right. Uh, naturally, tons of us, tons of us know each other. And at the reporter and, and producer level, you know, I think there's just tons of, of, of good regard because, again, like you know, we're all sort of in, in the same boat. And it's been great with this podcast, with it, with the uh, consider this podcast to do a collaboration. We've loved that actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, at the producer and, and reporter level we're getting to work with old friends. Right. And, uh, and I think it's been kind of cool showing that we could do that. I'd, I'd love to be able to do, to do more stuff like that. But I think it's, you know, I'll say, I think it's a weird thing to have uh, two public radio stations in competition with each other. My ideal would be, I wish we could work together more and co-program rather than counter-program. Right. But that, that's just my, like, you know, person as a host perspective, because, um, I, I like them all. Yeah. I, I like pretty much right. everybody at yeah. WBUR. And they do great work, too. Right. I, I, I wish they had more time to listen to their work, frankly. <laughs> totally. Well, it's interesting, like, on the consumer side, like, I agree with you. I remember when that announcement was made that GBH was, was making that shift to all news and thinking it was very strange and, like, yeah, why do we need this? And when it clicked for me, you, you mentioned BPR, Boston Public Radio, when Jim and Marjorie were hired, the hosts of that show, and they have a very kind of, you know, shoot from the hip style, and it's it's very conversational, very subjective. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, 
this is working and I like this. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, bringing more of your own personality to the show and, you know, some more subjectivity, because in some ways I feel like I don't have any idea if this is an edict from management or just a culture that's set at GBH, but it does feel like it can be a, a looser version of NPR, perhaps. It's interesting. <laughs> What's going through my mind is you're saying that, you know, because I, I used to work for, for the network. I used yeah. to work for, for NPR sure, and, right. and hosted all things considered nationally. You know, there, there are frankly ways in, in which I was really frustrated with how NPR covered a lot of things. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, we talked about the coverage of the Trump administration, especially in, in the first few years where I don't think they, they, they were, were doing it well. And I had this really experience, interesting experience where, um, you know, I came in to host All Things Considered for, for WGBH. It was actually kind of an emergency situation where the existing host uh, left and, uh, you know, basically like the manager said, you know, because obviously you can host All Things Considered. Can you jump in and just do this for us like now? Yeah. Uh, this was two two summers ago. And I'm like, yeah, I, <laughs> this is definitely something I can do. Happy, happy to help out. and. Um, I, I was surprised to find myself enjoying it to the extent that I, that I, that I did because I kind of thought, well, I, you know, I've done that for NPR. I, I don't want to do that an, anymore, especially in this new news world. And one interesting thing that happened, and I think this is like, like the first or second week that I, I was doing it, Donald Trump uh, had uh, made those comments about the, uh, you know, the, the women in, in uh, Congress they refer to it as the squad and telling them to go back where they came from. Oh, right. And I was like, oh, crap, because this is the thing, because no, nobody's saying the word racist when right. it comes to Donald Trump. Like, this has been a thing. We're not saying the word pres- racist and president, and so I'm going to have, like, a problem my first week back. And that was a time when I don't know how the meetings went or how, but all of a sudden everybody decided, okay, we could say racist now. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that, that was one where... Um, you know, I, I was worried that, like, all right, I'm going to have to be I'm doing a show like that's on with NPR again, and I'm going to have some problems with uh, with with this. Yeah. You know, and again, from there and with the pandemic, people in the news and people in, in, in NPR in particular found their legs a bit more when it came to doing this this coverage. But I do think that you, yeah, you're you're onto something in terms of um, if you're talking about maybe a different type of editorial approach. Yeah. Um, I am curious if I can ask a personal question. Just um, your your wife is Rainy Aronson, who's the EP of Frontline, right? Yeah. Like, what is <laughs> what does dinner <laughs> look like in your family? <laughs> like, do you guys do you get into talking about the news? Like, I could imagine just you're both seeped in it all day long. Like, it could be really deep level conversations, or it could be like we just need to not talk about work like what do you guys talk about at home yeah well i mean you, you can't really avoid it right and we also have a 12 year old and a 14 year old yeah um who are of the ages and again like we're living through a pandemic they're they're aware and smart and plugged in on the news and uh you know we're, we're also a mixed race family with with uh you know kids of color and all this crazy stuff is going on that we all have to be talking about so right. it's completely inescapable and so all of it is you know, our kids being that age where we have like educated conversations with them about it, both their parents being journalists. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a, a lot of, uh, a lot of talking about, about this stuff. You know, I got to talk for a moment about how, how kick-ass my wife is, what, what, what Rainey's done with Frontline, even before the craziness of the last couple of years is, is um, among other things. I mean, like she, she's 
done incredible things with, with diversifying the, the, the range of people working for, for Frontline. But just in terms of production, they're, they're much more uh, on top of being able to hit news as it happens instead yeah. of, you know, producing a documentary nine months later. Right. They're doing stuff they're pulling together in like a month. And so as, as I'm doing like daily news of stuff that, that's happening, you know, we're having some useful conversations a lot of the times about the good people to talk to about it. Mm. So, so there, there is a lot of shop talk and there are times where we get burned out on it, but it's also kind of productive and getting back to that thing about the, the therapy of, of work when, <laughs> right. when the world is crazy, right? It's just kind of good to talk about, about all of it. So yeah, there, there, there's a ton of shop talk and, and there, there's a lot of like, you know, between, uh, between that and having a, a teenager and a, and, and a tween, yeah, there, there's some good uh, dinner table stuff. Yeah, for sure. sure. Um, I'm curious too, kind of on the family front, um, I had seen a quote uh, you had given, um, you know, we've been talking about, you know, your uh, Indian American roots and when Aziz Ansari's show Master of None had come out, you had talked about sort of the the importance of representation, especially of Indians and, and South Asians in media. Um, my wife, uh, you know, her, her dad is from Pakistan, her mom's from Guyana, but, you know, India prior to coming to Guyana. So, uh, you know, South Asian roots, like, you had mentioned in, in an interview talking about wanting to show media to your kids that was representative of those cultures. And I'm curious, I've got an eight and five year old, like what are some of the things that were good <laughs> that you showed your kids that helped them see themselves in the media? Yeah. You know, it, it's been an interesting thing. You know, what, well, one thing that, that, that's good about having kids in, in, in this era is that we don't have to just use what's on TV, right? Mm, right We're just sure. on, on broadcast. So we can like, like pick from a great media library of, of, of things. And so when, when you have like the last several decades, you can kind of, kind of, pick and choose some things. So, and, and there, there's been some good stuff out lately. Like when we all, for, for mainstream things like Moana was wonderful. And, oh, you know, sure. they actually had, you know, people from, from the Pacific who were really involved in, in that. So it was actually not horrendously offensive. <laughs> you know, they actually did a good job because with the Disney stuff is, I think that was the context we were talking about before. Yeah. Um, there, there, there's like all these minefields uh, in, in there, which, you know, it's, making good to have his teaching moments, but they're also like, you know, yeah. you don't want your kids to right. <laughs> see too, you don't need too many of those, of those, of those teaching moments. Um, one thing we've been, we've been discovering with, with our, our kids uh, lately in terms of, of written stuff, there's a lot of great young adult books now written by, by people of color. I mean, like you, you mentioned a lot like Pakistan and, and, and Guyana, it wouldn't surprise me if there's something about a young Pakistani girl who's like you know from Guyana and, and like covers that. There's, wow. you know, we, we found uh, we're we're a Hindu family, um, and and like there's like two or three different books about people who are Indian and Jewish. Wow. Um, there's a book called My, My Basmati Bar Mitzvah, Bat Bat Mitzvah, <laughs> awesome. and they're actually good too. Yeah. You know, the world is getting better for that. But but there, I mean, there, there's still like tons of um, of, of those kind of um, teaching conversations with stuff that comes up all the time. It's funny talking about this right now because just before we were uh, just before we started talking, I was reading about uh, Hank Azaria is, is apologizing for Apu. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, and that's really interesting because that's something that you know, there's a generational thing where. I actually, I used to defend Apu because I always thought like, well, what? He's a joke. People don't get it. Like they're, right. they're being ironic. Come on. And I actually had to talk to some younger Indian Americans or, you know, Indian Asian Americans who um, 
told me like, like there was this Sikh guy who told me like, yeah, you know, when I was growing up actually, because you know, I'm, I'm a good deal. Like the Simpsons wasn't on until like I was a teenager, right. you know, <laughs> it was been around, I've, I've been around longer. Uh, so like when I was a kid in school, like nobody called me a poo or teased me with, with stuff like that. And so hearing that actually happened to people, um, I, I had to be educated, yeah. you know, and that's, that happens, I think with a lot, with a lot of us, yeah. <laughs> you know, these, these days. Yeah. So we're, we're talking at a time, right. Where there are books like that. There's more media like that. Hank Azaria has apologized. Things still suck in a lot of ways, but I'm feeling generally better about about the kind of offerings that that we have and what we can what we can work around. Yeah, but um, it's still a minefield, though. It is. Well, I want to wrap up by just asking one one last quick question, and that's you know, looking at your career. You know, as you've mentioned in this conversation, you, you've bounced around a lot. You know, you've, you've been on air, on, on, on TV, I should say, you know, doing things with PBS, but also on the radio and behind the scenes in the radio. Like NPR and, and public radio seems to kind of be the constant thread, though, through most of that. And, you know, just at a time where it feels like broadcast media, you know, may be suffering or, you know, certainly there, there's so many more choices, I guess I should say, than, than there ever have been. Like, what do you think about the future of radio and just how does it stay relevant in, you know, 2021 and beyond? Yeah, you know, I, I used to, uh, whenever people would, would talk about the future of radio or worrying about it, uh, I, would, I would always say, oh, just relax. As long as people are driving, radio is fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then podcasting started. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know? There, there, there is the news side side of things, and and so like I, I feel that you know, that kind of like core of public broadcasting and NPR is always going to be safe, like because it was a funny thing. I think it was um, uh, Bill Busenberg was was a guy at NPR, you know, thirty odd years ago now who decided to start doing a newscast. NPR didn't used to have a newscast. That was like <laughs> like NPR was a news network yeah. that didn't do an hourly newscast. And at the time, like, that was a radical, crazy thing to think about public radio doing. And now that's going to be the thing. I think that if, if there's only one thing that, that keeps uh, radio going, it's going to be for that. Because the, the crazy growth of NPR, like, you know, I started working for NPR way back in, in the mid-90s, sort of right before the real explosion, you know, back when pretty much nobody knew what NPR was, yeah. you know, before there would be like, Saturday Night Live joke, you know, skits about, about NPR shows. Like, it was just not, not, nobody knew about it. And the success of NPR was, frankly, completely accidental, right? Uh, it, it wasn't some, some clever programmer who, who came up with this idea because, you know, NPR couldn't have afforded to hire any kind of clever programmer. It was gradually, like, over, like, the late 90s and well into, into the aughts. And I, I think events like 9-11 cert certainly helped people to, to realize about getting a serious source of news, but it was because it was a singular source. And as commercial news got less serious, it became more valuable. And again, I think especially post 9-11. So I think there's going to be that news value part that keeps it going. But I really would worry about radio news producers getting complacent about that and getting too comfortable with the success. Yeah. It's probably not going to happen because I think that with the pandemic and with people driving less because of the pandemic, from what I understand, the the general broadcast numbers have been really hurt. Mm. I think here in Boston, we're, we're we're doing better. We are getting more people streaming, which is compensating for it. But I, I do think generally, 
like for for the NPR news shows, I, I think it's been a brutal year in terms of the radio ratings. Yeah. One thing that, that I would like to see public radio, public broadcasting in general, do a better job on is uh, a more diversity of voices. It's a pub- problem with the news media in general, but but especially with with PBS and NPR, and um, it, it's something that you know we, we've seen recently, like in the conversation about about getting more Asian American filmmakers represented, sure. not been handled well, and and I I think that. It needs to be handled better, not just for all the moral reasons, but because it will make us more relevant yeah. and, and, and keep us going. Yeah. The big argument I make for diversity in, in, in the newsrooms is that, yeah, you should do it because it's the right thing to do. But also your news is way mo- is so much better right. if you have a diverse newsroom. The, the quality of it is, is, is better because you have people from more diverse backgrounds who are going to catch way more errors and, and, and mistakes that you, that you would make, you know? Yeah. It's like we talked about, you bring your own experience to it. And if, if everybody has had a very similar life experience, you're going to end up with a very homogenized product. Yeah. And that's the thing that, you know, maybe it's like a nice thing to end on that, that, that the things that I've had the most response to in public broadcasting have been the things that have been the most personal. Yeah. And the thing that got the biggest response of anything I did when I was hosting all things considered at NPR was this little gratitude piece for Leonard Nimoy when he died. Mm. And it was about how he was a role model. Mr. Spock was a role model for a biracial kid yeah. where there were no biracial role models. And it was like, again, a very sub- utterly subjective thing, right? And um, I got a huge response. And that's been the case. I've noticed it since since then. I mean... Yeah, bring all of our personalities and all the diversity in, and I, I think we'll stay relevant. People will keep tuning in, my experience at least. All right, there we go. Arun Roth. I love his candor. He was, uh, he was an open book, and I appreciate that. It was a really honest conversation, really sincere, and uh, really fun. If you're in the Boston area, you can hear Arun on All Things Considered every afternoon on WGBH 89.7. And In It Together airs at 6.30 on WGBH 89.7. You can also get that as a podcast in your favorite podcast app, so check that out as well. New episodes of Quarantine Creatives come out every Thursday in your favorite podcast app, so please subscribe. And I also have a newsletter every Sunday. Go to heathrasella.com and enter your email address there to get that right in your inbox. Stay safe, everybody. Get the vaccine. Wear a mask. We're almost through this. I feel it. 